Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing? Good. Yourself? Good. Oh. All right. Uh, so, promote extend trade this week. And I was kind of looking on, uh, on, on Wikipedia to find something either Star Wars related or video game related, but like just nothing good happened on today's date with either one of those things. So I had to fall back on the regular one that I had planned. But on this date back in 1988, um, at the NBA slam dunk contest, Michael Jordan made that signature slam dunk from the three-point line that expired the uh, the Air Jordan logo. And, and it became one of like the most iconic images in, base, in uh, basketball history. So what... Iconic images of Mets baseball history. Are we going to promote, extend, or trade? First up, we have Andy's catch in front of the AIG sign in yeah. 2006. Um, next, we have Jesse Orozco throwing his glove up in the air and falling to his knees in 1986 World Series. And then, last but not least, is the flag unfurled over the grass at Chase Stadium on the uh, September 21st, 2001 game. Man, this sucks because <laughs> I, 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 I've said this a lot of times, probably on this pod and definitely in the Slack or wherever else. If the Mets win that game, Andy's catch is remembered, I think, in the same breath as the Willie Mays over the shoulder catch. Uh, absolutely. Like, it's that good a catch in that There's a statue game. of Andy outside City Field. Yes, <laughs> making that catch. Like, that is, that is, moment aside, that is one of the best catches you'll ever see, and it's in Game 7 of an NLCS. And then they lost the game, so. <sighs> Typical Mets. 
Like also, I remember like doing laps around my house after like jumping off the sofa where I was watching with my dad and doing laps around the house. There are so many different like aspects of that catch. A he just jumped. I mean, it was literally at, like the peak of his jump. Mm-hmm. And the ball was caught, you know, it was just barely snow coned. Mm-hmm. He slammed into the wall, so you know that, you know, there was the chance that the force could have popped it out of his glove, which thankfully he didn't. And then he doubled up, who was it, Scott Rowland? Uh, no, Jim Edmonds at first base. Jim Scott Edmonds Rowland doesn't want to hit the ball. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I tweeted when Scott Rowland, deserving Hall of Famer, by the way, I have no yes. grudges against Scott Rowland. Uh, Favorite Scott Rowland moment. <laughs> Indeed, robbing him. Uh, I mean, I can I can do like both the Joe Buck call on the from TV and the Gary Cohen radio call from memory, word for word, as I've watched the highlights so many damn times. But they lost the game. Yeah. I mean, Is that's it what that, that I kind of for '86? I kind of think of Mookie crossing the plate more than. A Roscoe glove in the air. That's where I mm. thought the last one was mm. going. Is it weird because to think that the most iconic visual from that is actually the ball just trickling through? It's Buckner. not even of a mat. Oh, yeah. It's Buckner. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Buckner. But but I think of like night scoring. I mean, and like yeah. everyone hugging him at home. Yep. And yeah, like that's, that's the iconic that, thing I think of when I that think of one that, that one play. There are different not angles. Um, I, don't know, I guess different angles, but of of the same exact thing going on. But yeah, there are so many. I mean, you have different Mookie. angles, both literative and literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you have crazy. Buckner just kind of standing there, and whoops, <laughs> you have Mookie just running. You have Knight just raising his arms in in celebration, like holy shit, that just happened. And then obviously in in the next game when they actually won. I, 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 this is definitely my age and my personal Mets experience, but it's the ND catch for me. Yeah, like, that's fair. I, was, I wasn't even alive in 1986. I wasn't old enough to really appreciate. Uh, <laughs> you weren't old enough to appreciate 9-11? No, so, see, I have very distinct memories of 9-11, but I don't mm-hmm. actually remember watching this Met game. I don't know that I did at right, the time. Right, right. Um, I remember the Piazza home run, but I don't remember much else about the game. I don't even remember the Piazza. I may not have even watched the game. I don't know. Um, despite having very distinct memories of 9-11, but not specifically this game. So I, I, for me, it's the Andy catch. And mm. if you're an older listener and you disagree with me, I can't argue with you. Um, I'm sure I'd feel differently if I'd seen the 1986 World Series in person. I've, oh, I'm yeah. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I've said this story before, but I remember the whole game you know against the braves after 9-11 that game and i was out with my family when we went out to eat and so i was kind of like monitoring the game as we're eating and we left about like the the sixth inning or whatever it was and the mets were losing at that point and for like the next couple of years i i didn't realize that the mets came back and won that game and i was under the assumption that the mets lost that's so funny. I, usually a good assumption with the mets yeah fair. yeah i mean it was only until only until probably i guess sny came about and they started having more like 
older, you know, retelevised Mets moments and games and things like that, that I realized that, like, wait a minute, like, oh, they came back and, and, and won in, like, the eighth inning. Okay. Freaking Mets. I will forever hate Yadi and Molina because of this. I will never support... <laughs> I know objectively Adi Merlina is a Hall of Fame player, but I will never support his I, Hall of it's Fame It's going to make me so mad. I, I just refuse. Make... I will not do it. Mm-hmm. I will Especially grasp he could, at any he, straws. He could not hit for shit then. Like, he turned into a better hitter as yep. he got older. But back then, he was not a good <laughs> hitter at all. Like, if if someone else did it to you, you can't, sometimes you just got to be like, yeah, well. Scott, Scott Rowland's Rowland's Hall of Homer had Homer. It would have been like, yeah, well, Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland's hot, but like I, I remember at the time being like, really, Yadier Molina is gonna do that, like of all the people, because he couldn't hit then. Like he was never an amazing hitter, but he ended up being yeah. above average in his later years. Who do you hate more, Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright? Molina. Yeah, because the Wainwright thing it's just doesn't matter if Molina doesn't hit the home run. Yep. Mm. Also, anyone who gives Beltron shit for not swinging the bat, shut the fuck up. You've never <laughs> seen a curveball before. You do not know what you're talking about. Yep. I wonder what the WPA for that pitch was. I've never actually gone back and looked, but... it's pro- If they do it for that long ago, it's probably insane. <laughs> I'd guess 30% at least on that one, because the Mets have the bases loaded. Yeah, no. We're only I mean, down not... one, so a single yeah. wins the game. Ugh. Depressing. It was two outs. Maybe it's lower than that, but it, it's got to be pretty high. And does that matter for context, WPA? Do they factor in, like... Yeah, it's it's leverage. Or it's a, no, I'm it's, talking about, like, game-wise, too. Do they factor do in that it's, that it's game seven of the NLCS? Oh, so you're saying not just game WPA, but, like, World Series WPA. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm that's, saying. Like, like, that's, like, of the playoffs, that's probably a huge WPA swing, yep. because... Like the the Tigers weren't good. <laughs> oh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I remember when the Mets got when when the series started in uh, against the Cardinals in the first place. Uh, what the hell is uh, middle school friend whose name is escaping me? Paul Sandy. That's it. We're like jumping Running around around our lockers because we were so convinced the Mets were winning the World Series. We're like the Cardinals are terrible and uh, or not t- mediocre, and the Tigers aren't good. We got this, and then. It's crazy. The Mets were clearly the best team left. Yeah, unfortunately, that uh, did not work out. Just going back to see who was on the Tigers, because I remember, I know, like... Miggy and fuck all. Yeah, it was no. just a bunch of... People. No, they weren't on the Tigers yet, were they? Maybe that was the next... The... That was the next... No, that was the next offseason that got traded, him and Dontrell. All right, here's the starting lineup for the uh, 2006 Tigers. Catching. Brandon Inge, is he on the Tigers at this yes, point? Yes, he, he was. There yeah. we go. Um, so catching, starting catcher is Ivan Rodriguez. Okay. First baseman, Chris Shelton. Who? Second, <laughs> second base, well, he he had an OPS of 806. Not bad, but again, okay. it was 2006. So. Uh, That's probably. He, he, had an 806, he had an 806 OPS plus. I mean, excuse me, an 806 OPS. Oh, God. And then, Jesus. <laughs> And a, God, holy and shit. And then a, a 106 OPS plus. Yeah. That's right. to put it in context of 2006. Thoroughly <laughs> mediocre first baseman, okay. Yeah. Um, second baseman, Placido Polanco. I remember Placido Polanco. 
shortstop Carlos Guillen. Third baseman uh, Brandon Edge. Yeah. Left fielder Craig Monroe. I'm remembering some guys here. Craig Monroe. The infield I mostly remembered, and then you. (laughs) Craig Monroe led the team in home runs with 28. And yet he had a 99 OPS plus. (laughs) Okay. Whatever you say. Uh, Yep. Center fielder Curtis Grandison. Right fielder Maglio Ordonez and I remember Maglio Ordonez. Okay. DH Marcus Thames. And on the bench the they had just go oh, yeah. crap. On the bench they had Omar Infante, Sean Casey, Dimitri Young. Um, and then their starting lineup. Wow. All right, so I mean, nothing really changes, I guess. Their best pitcher was Justin Verlander, which was Mets the case, like, yeah, which was the case for literally like two decades. Uh, um, there was Jeremy Bonderman. Okay, I remember Nate, that name. Nate Robinson. Okay. Robertson, excuse me. Fucking forty-year-old Kenny Rogers. Justin okay. Verlander. And Zach Miner. Zach Miner. That rings a little, a few bells, not a ton, but sure. Closer Todd Jones. Nope. And nope. I don't remember him. <laughs> Setup men Joel Zumaya and Fernando Rodney. Oh, pre-Guitar Hero accident. Yeah, gu- Guitar I Hero. I believe th- this was this was Guitar Hero accident year. I oh, it was. Yeah. Was he like back for the playoffs? Because I remember I, that time on a little fuzzy for me. Don't recall. And then they had rookie Andrew Miller through 10 innings. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this would have been before the uh, – yeah. was Cameron Mabin around at all? He did not have any at-bats for them. But, yeah, he was around. So, speaking yeah, of remembering seen? some – Speaking of remembering some 2006 guys, Michael Mayer just tweeted that Carlos Beltran is joining the Mets front office, according to the New York Post. So he returns. What is he going to do? Sure, why not? Yeah, I have no clue. (laughs) But speaking of 2006 uh, Mets vibes. Yep, yep. All right, so we have some unfortunate news to discuss this week. So do we want to start with the depressing news or the... Really depressing news. You guys' choice. Really depressing. <laughs> We're going to go yes. with the really depressing? Yes. All it right. gets better. It builds. Here, here's the really depressing news. All right. So it was reported that this past Wednesday that Carrie Wynn Hill, who was in a relationship with outfielder Khalil Lee in 2001, well, she's filing a lawsuit against him. And according to her account, the two were considering rekindling their relationship last year in May. And they met up. But things turned sour, and the two started arguing, and one thing led to another, and Khalil Lee kicked her, he slapped her, he pulled her hair, and that caused her to fall, and then he choked her. On uh, a couple of months later, on October 11th now, the Syracuse Police Department, they issued a warrant for criminal obstruction of breathing or blood circulation, which is a Class A misdemeanor that carries a penalty of a maximum of one year in jail. So I looked it up, what that actually means. 
And Article 121, Section 11 of the New York State Penal Code defines criminal obstruction of breathing as, quote, with the intent to impede the normal breathing, he or she, A, applies pressure on the throat or neck of such person, or B, blocks the nose or mouth of such person. So he was choking her. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, based on the, you know, circumstances that the woman, her account and the and her evidence and whatnot, you know, it it certainly sounds like he was fulfilling all the criteria, you know, and and applying pressure to her throat or neck. So clearly, um, what the fuck? Yeah. One thing that's kind of weird that I'm not really fully getting here is that now this is just coming out and Major League Baseball is, is, you know, is announcing that they're investigating the incident now as per their domestic violence policies. This took place like six months ago, May 2022. That happened Um, with Mike Clevenger, too, I'm pretty sure. Say it again. I'm sorry. I didn't hear. That happened with Mike Clevenger, too. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, It's because I think it has to do with. I'm not 100% sure. I think it has to do with when the league is allowed to because it's a it's like a criminal proceeding before this or something like that. Mm, but okay. like I remember the Mike Clevenger thing like it happened before the White Sox signed him and the White Sox signed him and they said they didn't know about it because Major League Baseball wasn't informed yet. And then here we are, you know, sounds like something they should be informed on. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not going to. But I don't know how this stuff works like that. Like, yeah. for the for the legal aspect of it, I don't know. I have no idea. But that's what I thought. I I, I remember seeing that with Clevenger that it happened before the White Sox signed him. I'm not going to kill the Mets without no uh, for that at least without knowing the details of when they knew. Like, if it turns out they knew earlier and did nothing, well then yeah, fuck that. But yeah, because he got called up after mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Right. Like. Yep. If the timelines match up, like I don't believe that he, I don't believe he played, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, he got called up and just kind of was on the bench for a week or so, whatever it was, in like June. Let's look it up. He got a hit against the Marlins, didn't he? And struck out a million times. Yeah. Or am I remembering that? He like had a game-winning hit against the Marlins or something, and went one for like 18 with 16 strikeouts or something crazy. He. He appeared in two games. Oh, then I'm I'm overstating. Yeah, you're thinking of you're thinking of last year. Last I am thinking of that. Okay. Yeah, okay. He, yes. He I played am. in he played in like ten games last year and struck out like twenty times in ten games. He hit a home run this year. I mean his 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 batting line for the two thousand and two two thousand twenty. Oh, I remember this. Okay. Five hundred, yeah. five hundred two. Not bad. I remember. Yeah. I remember that. But yeah, um, not, you know, I mean, he's he's a kind of marginal player to begin with, and now having this kind of baggage attached to him, regardless of you know what the uh, investigation finds, I, I can't really imagine him having that much of a future left in baseball. I mean, unless it, unless unless the woman comes out and has a formal. Uh, uh, a media, you know, session and says that she was lying and trying to extort him and and whatever and there's no evidence and she made everything up and it's photoshopped and 
whatever, which is extremely unlikely. Yeah, I, I don't should think never happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that Khalil Lee is uh, much of a future left in baseball here. Yep. I won't even... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's much more to discuss. His talent is irrelevant. Right. His performance to this point is irrelevant. Uh, if this is the kind of person you are... Like, you do not you do not need to be playing baseball. That's that's kind of it. The weirdest thing is, I I mean, I don't know if this is something we need to like start doing now. Like maybe we'll add this to the uh, to the bottom of our daily prospect um, reports and everything. But if you go to you know the Syracuse Police Department website right now and you go to their open <laughs> warrant section, boom, right there. Khalil R. Lee, black male, age 25, of uh, 642 North Salina Street. It's all right there. Like, it's not something that everybody is is looking for, but it's just so weird that it's been literally sitting there out in the open since October. I mean, the unfortunate reality is that we shouldn't be the ones doing this. Exactly. Right? Right. No, the Mets should. Or baseball should. And it seems like they saw it and we don't uh, who knows what they're going to do something or if they're in the process of doing something i don't know what legal workings there are behind the scenes here but you know yep well on that um (laughs) on that depressing trail off note let's get to our second piece of unfortunate news now and it was reported on Saturday by Will Salmon of The Athletic that Matthew Allen, our old friend Matthew Allen, he underwent UCL revision surgery sometime in January. And UCL revision surgery is exactly what it sounds like. It's a revision to the initial UCL procedure. Basically, it's a second Tommy John surgery. Uh, the recovery time basically the same as regular Tommy John. So if Matthew Allen does come back, it's going to be sometime during like the 2024 season, best case scenario. And we already knew that yet. Right. Uh, Yeah. 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 We already knew that he already had one, you know, setback from Tommy John surgery. So who knows if that that happens again with the second revision, but all that is, you know, a, a big if because, you know, let's, you know, to be honest here, this very well could be the end of Matthew Allen's um, professional career. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's an indictment. I don't, for me at least, that's not an indictment of the draft process that they employed to acquire him in the first place. It's just sort of unfortunate reality of pitchers and... It sucks for him. It sucks for the team. It sucks all around. Yeah, I mean, the Mets, if they have interest in, in continuing to roster him, when he's healthy, he'll be like 24, and that's also best-case scenario. It'll be over four years since the last time you pitched. You know, at, at some point, I believe... In 2025, he'll be a minor league free agent. So, who even knows? Do they have to add him to the 40 this off season? Yeah, to protect him from the rule. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the big. Someone obstacle. will rule. I think someone would rule five him. 100 percent. Stash him. Yep. And just put him on IL and just be like, okay. Figure that aside, it. See if you're 
that aside, though, who knows if he even <laughs> wants to pitch anymore? Yeah, because you know, sure, sure. in the span yeah. of a couple of years, you know, it's three major surgeries on his elbow now. You know, at a certain point, he might say, listen, you know, you know, like how Sandy Koufax retired because he wanted to be able to have a functional arm. At a certain point, Matthew Allen might just be like, listen, I like pitching and everything, but I want to be able to have a an elbow that moves. I mean, I think I can see fair. that going either way. Yeah. Yeah. But um, like Lucas, I agree. It's not an indictment of the draft uh, process that they went through, but also it's these. This is the risk if you're going to do something like that. Where the downside is the guy gets hurt and you get nothing out of an entire year. Which the other side of it is he doesn't get hurt and we're talking about adding Matthew Allen to this rotation. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the it's a risk reward situation and the Mets needed to be risky at the time because they had such few high profile prospects in the system and they got Beatty out of it but and that's great but everything else has been a wash so far yeah I mean so far and probably forever with you know you have Brett Beatty he's he's the only guy in that draft really that has any type of ceiling to contribute I mean of the 40 guys that they drafted 31 signed so we're already missing nine guys at this point Josh Wolf their second round pick they traded him to Cleveland I would uh, say that was useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, not gonna, not taking anything away from that. Um, but obviously, he's not gonna contribute to the Mets. Uh, their fourth round pick, Jake Mangum, he was traded to the Marlins, and so now everybody, everybody from fifth round pick onto the fortieth pound pick that signed, they're either low upside guys or they've already been released. Yep. I think the most likely guy to have any kind of major league impact is Zach Ashford, maybe? If he gets promoted in a major emergency situation as like a fifth outfielder at some point. Mm-hmm. It, it really is the damnedest thing. They don't even, I was looking, they they literally do not even have like a pop-up middle reliever that you need to call. No, they get, no one. It's, yeah, literally is nobody left in that draft. And like the vast majority of us, and probably me included, if Beatty is good, I won't care. But also, yeah, no, it's it is what it is. But but also, like you can't do that. <laughs> like <laughs> that's how you end up in the situations where we've been talking. That, that, that's how you end up with the pro- with the system the way we've had to discuss right. the Mets system. Now that's take this take this 2019 draft. Now that literally it is all coming down to one guy, Rip Beatty. Regardless of how he does, you know, in the next couple of years, but you have literally just one player. Combine that with the 2020 draft, where at this point you're not getting anything. Eric Orsi is the only guy standing left. Everyone else has been traded or released from that draft. That's only five players, but yeah. Or right, right. But but still, you're not getting any value from that draft besides Orsi. <laughs> and then combine that with you know 2018 and, and the years prior, where they're kind of doing it in a more traditional sense. They're picking you know best guys that are left on the board, but they're... Um, valuations of these guys are not the best. So you're getting the uh, Carlos Cortezes in the fourth round and the, you know, things of that nature and the, the Matt Whitakers and the Quinn Brodies in the third round and fifth round, you know. Man, I really thought Quinn Brody was something. I mean, he, he he's a decent outfielder. He's he's the kind of guy that could be called up in an emergency situation since he is yeah. in Syracuse. But I mean, like like you were saying, this is why the the system is so. Ugh. 
You literally have you can you can go five go back five years or so, six years, and it's just out of out of hundreds of players selected, you're getting like maybe three or four guys. Not a not a good success. It's, it's bad. Yeah. Now I think their draft habits have changed a bit, and I have more hope about their more recent classes. But you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, 2022, this past draft was pretty good. It's very odd, right? Because there are good drafting teams, there are bad drafting teams. And then there's the Mets, who for the past decade, under a variety of different GMs, president of baseball ops, scouting director, uh, Tommy Tannis has been there for a while, I guess, but like consistently hit on their first round picks. Like, I don't think there's any arguing that the Mets have had really successful draft picks in the first round going back a decade. Like, Dominic Smith yeah. and Gavin Zucchini are not great examples, but you have Nimmo, uh, 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 Beatty, uh, the Rocker debacle was obviously uh, just that, a debacle. Um, Conforto in there. I should have pulled up the entire list before I started on this diatribe <laughs> because now I'm Sorry. running out of... Justin Dunn was drafted, and and I mean, just does not uh, a Anthony bad K, first, just does not still, bad first round pick. Anthony right, K was still, like a underslot guy, so they still and like it. Dom even had a few seasons where he was a legitimately good major league hitter. Like mm-hmm. it's not like he's a, I don't think he's good, but he, like the he Mets was have useful had, to the Mets for a while. Yeah, yeah. The Mets have had one of the more mediocre scouting and development pipelines for a decade, and the Yankees have had one of the best, and the Mets have had vastly more success in the first round than the Yankees, which is kind of my point, right? Like the Mets do a awful j- have can, again, I think it's gotten better in recent years and we'll need more years for, to, to actually fully evaluate this. But for years, they've hit on these first round picks had generally decent process, Anthony K selection aside. Um, and it's still a good process. And, and I don't know that Anthony K was good, process, <laughs> but we don't need to rehash this argument. And then, just like say, all right, we're done. Time to just draft random college performers for the next four rounds. Like what? And and unsurprisingly, that hasn't gone so well. Um, it's a good thing. It's it's, it's sure it's a good thing they've hit on their first round picks because otherwise there'd be nothing. Mm-hmm. So there's Brad Beatty. We really need you to come through now. You have the weight of the entire 2019 draft class on your shoulders, man. All right, so. This week, we are, believe it or not, but we are wrapping up our um, top 23, top 2023 prospect countdown. We we reviewed, um, you know, 10 to 6 last week. So this week, we are, we've reached the top five and we're going to be reviewing um, the top five, the, the best, the five best prospects in the system. So last week, the first half of the top 10 was Dominic Hamill, Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos, Alexander Ramirez, and Blade Tidwell. And finishing up now, the, 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 this, the front half of the top 10, starting with number five, is shortstop Jet Williams. And Steve, you and I are about to have an argument, I think. Are we? Okay. I think so. <laughs> well, I mean, Jet Williams was recently drafted. Um, 
he does not have too much of a organized professional baseball history here. He only played in 10 games with the GCL, I mean the uh, FCL Mets, so stats are kind of irrelevant. And the thing about him is he's a, a short guy with surprisingly big pop, decent hit tool, and really the only questions, major questions, are where he'll play. Um, he has really good speed, so he's going to be up the middle, but we're not really sure right now if he's going to stick at shortstop or kind of be moved to center field because he was playing with an injured shoulder for big chunks of 2021 and 2022. So scouts and evaluators didn't really get a good read on how strong his arm is and how accurate it is. So, I mean, if he comes to uh, camp, you know, this upcoming season and the shoulder is all good and the arm is really strong, he's a shortstop. If the arm is kind of, eh, I mean, I'm sure they're going to keep him at short regardless, but down the road they might say, mm, we might want to transition him to center field. But either way, those are two good homes for a guy like him. Very high um, high on the defensive spectrum. So why are we going to have now a fight about Jim Williams? Because I think uh, we, were, we were talking about this a little bit off air, that you had him uh, a good deal lower than... than uh, well, maybe this is a talk for after we go through the whole top five, but at the risk of spoiling everything else, I think you had uh, Williams a bit lower than than I would have him uh, here. Uh, I had him ranked eight. Yeah, that's... Uh, for, for disclosure, I had him ranked eight. You had him ranked four. Ken had him ranked five. And Thomas had him ranked five. Uh, to me... And we'll talk about the guys ahead of him in a moment, but to me, Williams is pretty clearly the third best guy in the system. Uh, fourth best guy in the yeah fourth best guy in the system, uh, counting the the late addition to the list at two. I mean, on pure stuff, I think he is one of the most exciting, definitely. But at this point in time, we have no inkling whatsoever if he can handle a decent curveball or changeup. You know, so any guys that are extremely young or don't have much experience are automatically getting pinged in my book because you don't know. You know, he has a shit ton more tools offensively and defensively than, say, Mark Vientos, who I ranked higher. Mm -hmm. But Mark Vientos has dominated guys in double A and triple A. We know his strengths and we know his weaknesses, obviously, but we know that he has major league utility. Jet Williams, not so sure. I mean, I now, guess my, in a, my in a season, a, sure, sure. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was say, a year from now, I could very easily see myself ranking Jet Williams number one prospect overall in the system. If he, let's say, he he plays the year he starts, let's say, in single A and splits the year between St. Lucie and Brooklyn and ends the year in Brooklyn, I could 100% say, say, my, say to myself, okay, you know what? He's shown that he's able to hit uh, advanced velocity. He could show that he can, if he does, obviously, he could show that he can have competitive at-bats against pitchers who are able to hit their spots and throw, you know, rudimentary curveballs and, and change-ups and everything like that at a professional level. But until we, do, until we have more data like that, I'm 
always going to be more cautious about the rawer, rawer prospects. I guess I understand that, but my my counterpoint would be that that guys like Vientos, even if we know they have some amount of major league utility, like there's certainly more uh, certainty. Um, that major league utility isn't particularly hard to recapitulate uh, from another source, um, which is to say, like, I can find a right-hand hitting corner bat with contact questions pretty much at will in the free agent market, right? Like, I could probably go to the ML, like at this point in the offseason, go find three of those guys who are still on the MLB trade rumors uh, free agent list and sign them for no money. And even if, I mean, you're right that Williams has a much higher probability of like never being a major leaguer than Mark Vientos, given that Mark Vientos is already a major leaguer. But oh, that he is also he <laughs> still has a realistic, I don't think there's a realistic shot that Vientos gets to like above average regular. Hold on, hold on. So you're saying that Mark Vientos does not equal Pete Alonso? Correct. <laughs> Shockingly, I don't uh-huh. think that's a fair comparison. Huh. No, I wonder why people, where people got that notion. <laughs> Truly, one of the stranger tweets. Just, it's so good. It's just the perfect. It's tweet. like, okay, everything I mean, about it's so funny. It's not even just a tweet. It'd be, it'd be one thing if he was like, if 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 uh, the person who tweeted it had been responsible for drafting Vientos, but he would, he did, he had no, he's not well, even like. Well, he worked for one of his guys. He may well, or may him, not be his representation. His, he might be his agent. Mm-hmm. 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 Because uh, Vientos is Rock Nation now. Yep. Oh, that's true. Yep. Um, you know, God bless. I, I wish we could all be so optimistic about anything. <clears throat> that's why I love it so much. It's hilarious. Like, mm-hmm. it's he's talking about home runs per at bats and sh- it's it's just it's it's a wonderful tweet about a guy who is probably someone who you represent and you're and you used to work for the team that he plays for. It's just. It's so good. <laughs> but yeah, Lucas, I hear what you're saying. And and it just comes down to, I think, just a slight difference. A, first of all, the difference in this kind of list between, you know, is very minute. Like, I remember in the comments, people are arguing about, like, seven and eight. Like, oh, guys, come on. It, it, yeah. But yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's it just a, I, I agree. Everything you said, I agree with. It's just, you know, a slight difference in 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 philosophy. Sure. Um, I mean, I'll re- reiterate to close this point that I am extremely high on Mark Vien- uh, Mark Vientos. Oh my God! <laughs> yes, Mark Vientos. You heard it here first. Yes, uh, extremely high on Mark Vientos, who I just said is a platoon bat with contact questions. Um, no, extremely high on Jet Williams. Uh. Very excited to see what he does next year. Um, I think the Mets made a really intelligent choice here, and hopefully it pans out for them. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I like Williams more that he got after he got to the system than I did before. I kind of was like, where's the power going to come from? But he hits the ball hard. So mm-hmm. it was, it's more like, I think Jarrett said it when I was on there draft podcast on for all you kids out there draft podcast but he's a short guy but he's not a small guy mm-hmm. and i think that's a good descriptor of him because he is he's she's short like it just is what it is and hitters aren't normally that short but he doesn't play that short because yeah. he's stronger than that and of course he's gonna need to fill out a little more and 
he, he's never going to be a 40 home run guy anyway. Like, that's just not realistic, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be good. And home runs are not the end old deal. And if he could play center and he could run, then you're looking at it. Yeah, him. I'm not too concerned. Like, I don't know. I have no idea whether he's a shortstop long term. Um, <clears throat> but with his athleticism, I'd be pretty surprised, barring like a lot of injuries that slow him down or something, uh, if he couldn't hack it in center field and at that point i don't really care if you've moved from a shortstop yeah no moving <laughs> moving from shortstop to center field it's like oh oh no whoa we'll survive like if you're yeah. <laughs> if he's a speedy plus defender in center with what i think he can do with the bat and like the amateur i look at to be honest right like i don't have i don't have access to the uh, amateur stat cast data, right? I don't have a source that's giving me that. But if it is, is as good as you hear whispered about, right? Like if I had the data and it says what people suggest it says, then I would be running this guy up uh, this high up the list. And because cause that's the kind of shit I really care about. And I, I trust the people that I've heard say this stuff. So yep. uh, that's why that's why I have him so high in particular. All right, so um, Jet Williams was the Mets' uh, first-round pick in the past draft, but the Mets had two first-round picks, and Jet Williams was their second of those. Their first first-round pick is the next guy that's on our list coming in at number four is catcher Kevin Parada. Um, so same thing like Jet Williams, you know, there isn't a lot of, you know, he, he only played in 13 games this year um, as a professional in the JCL. I keep doing that with the FCL Mets and then with St. Lucie. Um, so the numbers don't really mean too much. He does have, though, plenty of um, there's plenty of data in his college career. He was drafted out of Georgia Tech, um, you know, catchers from Georgia Tech. There's a good there's some good vibes there. But um, in his two seasons that he had at Georgia Tech 2021 and then this past season 2022, he appeared in 112 games there, and he's a 341, 420, 636 hitter. So, with with um, 35 home runs total, nine in his first year, and then 26 this past season. He struck out 40. Excuse me. He struck out 73 times and walked 47 times. So, he is he is a would Keith call him a professional hitter? I think he would. <laughs> Probably. He might strike out a little bit too much for Keith. Uh... Yeah, that is true. <laughs> but then who are you? Who again? Then again, who doesn't in modern baseball? For oh Keith God, Ted? everyone does. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Parada was considered, you know, by many sources, um, not just like at the beginning, you know, like in January and February, like just as the NCAA season is starting, all the different. Uh, scouting evaluation services and publications and stuff will put out their their top draft prospects list and the the names that you see in January or February are oftentimes not the same names that you'll see in like June when the season is over and stuff has happened. Um, Prada was seen by some sources as like a top prospect, you know, a top five prospect early in the season and he was still considered that at the end of the uh, college season and in probably like i I don't really 
I don't think that's the right word to say, but just stuff happened. Other teams had other players that they're interested in for different reasons, and Parada fell, and then he fell, and then he fell a little bit more, and he was available when the Mets picked. And we were very happy for that. Yeah, this is a coup. Yeah. That they managed to get him where they did. I'm also happy that they just ran to the draft board pretty much and took him instead of overthinking because they could have overthought it because he was falling. But nope, get the good guy in your system. Who cares if he's a catcher? He's probably athletic enough to play other positions. If the absolute best outcome is Alvarez is sticking behind the plate and Prad is a good catcher too. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I know that's, that's another situation. It's like, Oh, Oh no. What are we going to do? Whatever, man, there's a DH. (laughs) Prad is athletic. If he could, he could probably play the outfield in some capacity. And if you have two really good catchers and one has to DH sometimes, cry me a river. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, he is a very advanced bat. So, I mean, I could, I, I could see him possibly getting major league at bats next year. Like he, he definitely has that Conforto kind of feel about him that he's going to be in the system real quick in and out. I wonder if him being a catcher stops that just because it's yeah, that, to, that would be my only to, to do all that unless they like switch him off of catcher if they really think that and Alvarez is working. But I don't think they do that or should do that. No. Yes. Um, so, I mean, as good as a hitter is, he is not that good of a catcher. I don't let me rephrase that. He is a very good catcher. Uh, he's a very good hitter. He is not as good a catcher. Um, he's kind of fringy. But there's room to improve. It's not like he's just really fat and slow or anything like that. It just, you know, lack of lack of experience and such. Um, um, the arm strength and accuracy are the two biggest things that are issues. Um, he only threw out 19 batters out of the 93 that attempted to run on him when he was at Georgia Tech. So, you know, definitely could improve there. But in terms of like right mobility mobility you know he moves well behind the plate he's a good receiver and he's a good sense of the strike zone um which is i guess best the best thing that you want from a catcher so yeah i mean he's uh they're very lucky to have gotten him he was arguably i think you could make a case that he was the best hitter in college baseball last year and certainly one of the best um yeah, people might argue for Brooks Lee or even Jacob Berry, who I think is a much worse major league prospect, but was a very good college player. Um, this is also not to defend the the pro- like the Mets got very lucky here, right? They really dropped the ball with the whole Kumar Rocker thing, and we don't need to go through the details of that again. But they wound up with a prospect that's, I think, much better than Kumar Rocker at this point, and you know they got lucky. I mean, again. I'm just- I think the part where they got lucky, though, was, well, not really lucky, but they messed up irregardless of this. Because oh, 100%, yes. Be, no, no, because, like, they should have had these yeah, two the guys. and also guys. Uh, back, yeah. The backup guy, that's my issue. Yep. Like, my issue with Rocker isn't letting, isn't not signing the first-round pick, but we've mm-hmm. talked about that a million times now. <laughs> anyway, Parada was such a good prospect, I didn't even consider him in our way-too-early draft prediction, because I was like, he'll never be there. 
Yeah, no, it's yeah, I think I had, like, I think I, th- I was like stumping for Williams at eleven, who they wound up taking uh, at fourteen. Yeah, for I forgot it was or it's fourteen or fifteen. I think I was off Porter by the time the draft came around. Anyway, I don't remember exactly. I don't remember yeah, five minutes ago, yeah. frankly. So, <laughs> well, suffice to say, we are all very we were all very pleasantly happy when he was drafted, and we are all pleasantly happy about his progress so far, and we are. Watching his career with great interest. That's not ominous at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up is someone that we were talking about before. Um, as he he has the weight of the entire 2019 draft on his shoulders is Brett Beatty. Um, not going to go too much into the, the past about him because you know we've, we've, he's been a top prospect for a couple of years now. Um, this past season. He played in double A AA and triple A, and then of course he also got a very brief uh, cup of coffee with the Mets, but that unfortunately came to a premature ending because he hurt his um, hand. But in 95 games in the minor leagues, he hit 315, 410, 533 with 19 home runs. I think so. 19 home runs sounds good. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, 19 homers, two stolen bases, <laughs> to add to good measure, and 49 strikeouts to 100, 49 walks to 104 strikeouts. Um, 49 strikeouts to 100 walks. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, oh, he's, uh, then he's gone from like the 15th best prospect in baseball to Juan Soto incarnate. That's when Keith fin- Keith finally approves. Yeah, mm, that that will get the Keith mm, of approval if Keith's um, even on the broadcast next year. Oh God, don't even say it. Well, basically, coming to the season, our main bones of contention with Brett Beatty, and I guess that's even putting it kind of strongly because I'm pretty sure that we had Brett Beatty as like the third best prospect last year as well. Um, but we want to see more home runs. Um, you know, he is a guy that has plus raw power. He's a third baseman, so power is going to have to be part of his game. <laughs> he's a he's a third baseman and also quote left fielder. But uh, power is something that's supposed to be part of his game. And in 2021, with Brooklyn and Binghamton, he hit 12 home runs, which, you know, 12 home runs in 91 games, not terrible, but not optimal either. Um, you definitely want to see more power out of him, and he did respond this past season, hitting 19 in 95 games. So I'm basically in the same amount of games, he added almost 10 more homers. And the thing was that he was hitting the ball a lot, a lot, a lot on the ground, in 2021 and this past season he he corrected that um do i have the data here in front of me it would be a useful thing to have steve and i are very prepared for the i mean I, we want to embark on you know i do have the data but i feel like just reciting numbers is not very helpful you know i could say yes he pulled the ball at a 43 40.3 rate he went back to the middle 26.6 percent rate he went to the opposite field 33.1 mm-hmm as opposed to the prior year, and then just announce these numbers over again. But anyone who's interested can go look at his um, 
those those numbers on Fangraphs. But, you know, basically, Beatty's always kind of, I don't want to say resisted the idea that he's like a slugger because he likes hitting for a high average. But, you know, when you're not, I don't know, what, what you, he just hit the ball on the, too many balls were hit on the ground, especially kind of like weak tappers. And that was a problem. And he adjusted this past season. He was hitting the ball in the air a lot more. And when you hit the ball in the air, when you have his kind of power, you hit more home runs. He hit 15% fewer ground balls and hit 10% more line drives and fly balls this past season as opposed to um, 2021. So he, It was an improvement. Yeah, I mean, he did all the things that we I want, personally, myself, anyway, the things that I wanted to see him improve on, he did. So... Do you have any concern, and I'm not saying I do, but I'm posing the question. He certainly made these improvements in double A, and we didn't have enough triple A time to draw any conclusions before he got called up. But he did seem to slip back into the old habits a little bit in the majors. Does that make you concerned at all? No, because I feel like your initial call up is a special period of time and I'm going to overlook a lot of your, you know, if you, if you get into some bad habits, I'm willing to overlook them as long as those bad habits don't become trends in the long term. And I'm willing to say, okay, this cup of coffee was short enough that, you know, maybe he's, he's starstruck and, and nervous and the adrenaline and, you know, um, adjusting now to major league pitching and you getting called up in, when was it? Late August or early September? Whenever it was. I don't want to say it was a playoff race, but yep. it kind of was. I mean, his first, first game was, was in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't get more serious than that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm willing to overlook whatever negatives, you know, in his, what was it, like six games, ten games? He played like a couple weeks, didn't he? Am I misremembering? Let me look, because I have him right here. He played four, uh, 11 games. Okay, it was only 11. I thought it was yeah. more than that. But. He was up for a, a long... He didn't play in every game, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buck probably just kept trying to put Escobar back in. I mean, Escobar started to hit, too. Yeah, so yeah we had the, the fall of Escobar. Yeah, that was like right when Escobar started to heat back up, so it was, it was a little bit of a weird thing, I think. But honestly, the thing I was worried about more was his defense. It looked so bad. <laughs> It, at when he was yep. doing whatever he was trying to do at third base as a, in the majors last year. Supposedly he spent the offseason working with Troy Tulowitzki, of all people. Yeah, um, right? I was like, huh, okay. Because when I, think, when I think of a third baseman, I think Troy Tulowitzki. He was a good shortstop. So. Yeah, Troy was a very good shortstop, especially given his size. And Beatty is a tall, large person. Like, he's not heavy, but he is large. Right, like he's a big guy. There's there's something to be learned there. I don't know. And he's, I mean, Troy Tulowitzki probably knows how to play third base. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, going yeah. to assume that Tulowitzki has some uh, wisdom to impart. Yes. It sh- it was just funny. It was like a Mad Libs, mm-hmm. like remembering a guy almost. <laughs> because we're we're that old now, where mm-hmm. guys I remember is their primes are now helping some 21 year old play third base. Would you rather in- have? Troy Tulowitzki help him play third base, or would you rather have Brandon Inge help him play third base? 
Brandon Inge could teach him how to be a super utility player. Yeah, Brandon Inge. I only remembered Brandon Inge because going all the way back to this discussion, because one year in one of my very early fantasy leagues, he was catcher eligible as a third yes. baseman, and oh, it just like yeah. nice. just a super broken mechanic. I'm like, oh, I have an actual hitter as ca- a catcher. Great. That's when I used to roster Isaiah Kiner Falefa catcher because Yahoo took forever <laughs> to take him off, and I would just get like 20 steals from catcher and win steals every week nice yeah um Beatty's defense he's a big dude he's not very like quick twitch muscly so he just kind of has like slow and stiff actions um i wouldn't say he's a bad defender he's the kind of guy that's going to be like always i think net negative slight net negative to about scratch average and that's like the best you'll get and then, you know, maybe 10 years from now when he's starting to actually legit get old um, as a baseball player, then he'll be quite possibly bad defensively. But he's, you know, he, he his his value is always going to be like, like Vientos, his value is always going to be with the bat, but he does give you some defensive value at their base. Oh, yeah, he's a better defender than Vientos, who I don't oh, yeah, think... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, like, I think he can get to average. I'm not saying he will get to average, but I think he can. But uh, even if he's a below-average third baseman, right. like, you don't, he's going to have you Lindor don't, next to him, and right. like, that'll help. And if your worst defender is your third baseman, like, Escobar was the Mets' worst defender last year, and he was... It's fine. Like, it, there's a few times I'm like, oh, Jesus. But for the most part, it was fine. And he's right. He's on average, he's not going to make you go, oh, Jesus, con- very constant, you know. And yeah, if he I, does, there's a DH. And it's yeah, not like that's not, the best out- that's not the best outcome. Like, I would very much like Beatty to stick at third because that handles that. And then you could use DH for a vocal back type or if Alvarez doesn't stick, there's other things you need out of your DH. If, unless you just want to load manage it, you could do that, too. But. I don't think that there's any question that he stays at the at third base. I, I think that there's a kind of what's a good way of putting it? A s- same thing, similar. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but similar kind of with Alvarez. I think that there's a kind of I don't really know how to put this. Like this, is a kind of notion that you must have excess value at whatever you're doing. And I think that Beatty is a good enough third baseman, and I think that's good enough, if that yeah. makes sense. Look, so if, if, if you're saying starts, like, go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead, Luke. Oh, because I, I was just gonna say like, you could be a below average third baseman and still be a way positive player. Right. So it doesn't exactly. Matter. Exactly. Yeah. If he if he fixes the launch angle and pull side issues, which he seems to to have been at the very least making progress on already, and he just needs to translate it to the majors. And like like we discussed, I agree with Steve that I think he'll fix it uh, in the majors. Um, like his batted ball data is such that he could be a one of the better hitters in baseball. Yeah, top, I mean, he's top, not just top, like his his exit velocities are stupid. He makes a good amount of contact. Yep, he has exactly. good plate discipline. Yeah. It has every every ingredient you want for a maybe the right word is to like i I, there's a chance in an elite hitter here all the ingredients are there he just needs to stop 
giving what the pitcher gives him, for lack of a better term, and realize that he's a big honking boy with a lot of power and swing the fucking <laughs> bat and hit the ball 450 <laughs> feet. Like, you can do it. You don't need to hit a line drive into the left center field gap. Just pull the fucking ball, please. Yeah, um, like, like we're, we're talking very highly of him, and he's just not a top Mets prospect. He's one of the top prospects in the sport. Like, like Alvarez, of course, is. we'll talk about him, but he's a better prospect n- nationally, but Beatty's top 20 top mm-hmm. 15, you know what I mean? It's not like he's the Mets' third prospect, but he's the 150th best. Like, he's a top prospect in the league. Like, the, the ceiling is enormous, for, and it's worth discussing. It's His defense is not going to hold him back unless he's J.D. Davis out there, but even so, you'll deal with him. He was already sure. better than J.D. Davis. <laughs> of course, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not, like, I was just, I, that's the first name I thought of, to be, like, a really putrid defender, but... I don't know. Like, I don't think his defense will ever be bad enough where it adversely affects his spot in the lineup because I think the bat has the potential to just outweigh it. Agreed. Yep. 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 All right. Now, coming in at number two on our list is a quote unquote prospect and is not Nick Morbido. Shocking. I was shocked. It was Nick Morbido. No, it is none other than the Mets. Uh, would you say that he is the biggest free agent that the Mets signed this this winter? No, it's Verlander. No, Verlander. He might have, right. Senga might well, it's have. Carlos Correa, but. Well, well yeah. <laughs> I'm, I think, I mean, Car- uh, Justin Verlander is a first ballot, maybe even inner circle Hall of Famer. No mm-hmm. doubt. I, uh, if you yeah. want to argue that Sanga has the most long-term implications for the club, I could agree with that. But if you just want no, biggest not creates, even, not you even famous. I, I I think maybe most exciting is probably the I best. I think he's second. Mm. I would agree with you that he's most exciting. Yeah, like I, I feel like just the signing of Verlander combined with the Grom leaving and everything like that, it kind of casts like a weird shadow on everything. It's like, oh, okay, well. We're swapping one ace out for another. Like, cool. This is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. With Senga, it's like, not that it came out of left field, but, you know, uh, it is not something that we're used to the Mets doing. And it it generated a lot of kind of goodwill and excitement. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, awesome. I mean, how many times did we talk about it on here? Many. Like, <laughs> I feel like once a month when we were do the, the KBO and uh, MPB updates, we're like, wow. I wonder when the Mets are going to sign one of the. And look, here we are. Yeah, so Kota Senga, the, a very exciting uh, free agent at the Mets signed in mid-December. Um, he's a veteran of Japan for 11 seasons. So, I mean, I'm not going to go over every single season. Um, for his career, though, he has a cumulative 259 ERA. In almost 1,100 innings, he's allowed 800 hits. He's walked 414, which is a 3.4 um, walk per nine. And he struck out 1,252, which is a 10.3. Um, the last couple of years, you know, kind of more important. Um, uh, in 2021... 
he had a 267 ERA in 111.1 innings. And then this past season, he had a 189 ERA in 148 innings. Um, that one year, 2021, he kind of was sidelined by some injury, which is why so few innings. Um, he only made 18 starts, as opposed to in the mid, low to mid-20s or so, which is kind of normal um, in Japan. But, um, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Like, I, I really don't know where to start here, because we're just going over this guy's entire career. But I guess the stuff... Um, he has a good fastball. He has an elite fastball for Japan. And I would say that it would be an elite fastball in the U.S. as well. Um, it sits last year. It was averaging 96, which is good by any measure. Um, and, and it sometimes topped out in the high 90s and even hundreds. Um, Complementing it is a sinker, a pretty good solid sinker, a changeup, and then a fork ball, the ghost fork. Um, and also has a slider, curveball, cutter. I mean, he's very you Darvishian, Darvishian, in that he could throw a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But can gonna, he throw left-handed? He probably can. I should say he he definitely can, but he can't on a competitive level. I mean, I could throw left hand, I could throw right handed. I'm right hander, but can I throw competitively? No. <laughs> um. So I mean, focus on on the fastball and the forkball. The fastball, like we said, it is an elite pitch. The forkball, also an elite pitch. Last season, pretty much half of all of Senga's strikeouts came on that one pitch. Um. Statistically, it was the, it was the most difficult pitch to hit in all of NPB last year. It had a whiff rate over 50%, a chase rate of 40%. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yes, he was pitching. You know, like he he did have a statistically outlier year or whatever you want to say, but it is a good pitch. You know, it it is his bread and butter pitch. I mean, it's you could see it when you see video of it. Yeah, like obviously it's not going to do that in the majors, but. It's going to mess some guys up for sure. It just falls out of nowhere. Um, and it's, you know, it's a pitch you don't really see too much in the, in major leagues. You know, a fork ball is just kind of a more extreme splitter. And even splitters, you know, you don't really see too many guys throwing them. Um, when, when Masahiro Tanaka came to the U.S., you know, he was able to have a lot of success with his splitter that he brought over in Japan, so I see no reason to think that Senga won't be able to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the only two things that I'm concerned about with Senga are his is his command and his health. Um, even in Japan, he was not the most accurate guy um, in his career. <laughs> he only had a, a season where he had a first pitch rate First pitch strike rate over 50% once in his entire career. So, you know, that isn't the end all be all because you still obviously have more pitches to work with than in at bats. But he's really not, he is not a pinpoint thrower. And that definitely can, might come back to bite him in the ass um, in the MLB especially where you have hitters that are 
able to do more stuff that you know is not as good um or or could wait him out or can foul things off or you know et cetera I will also admit um <clears throat> And this might even be more concerning for me than the control, which I don't disagree is is at least a semi-notable concern. I, I don't love his fastball shape. Um, I don't think it's particularly. I don't think it'd be very analytically friendly either. And I I, I know he's had success with it, but I wonder if that's just sort of a velocity a function of having very good velocity for. Uh, ja- Japanese baseball. I'm not saying it's a disaster, but I, I worry that that it, it may even have some negative uh, synergy with the control, right? If he has a not great fastball shape and he can't locate it particularly well, it may get hit harder than you expect, even if his splitter is 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 a disgusting pitch. And I do think that's going to translate, but I'm a little uh, call it some mild concern about the fastball shape. It gets hit a lot more than you would think a high 90s fastball yeah. should get hit. It's almost Syndergaard-esque almost. Like you, he feels like we might you might have one of these guys who every once in a while pops off this like 13 strikeout outing or whatever. And you're like, wow, that was incredible. Why isn't he like that all the time? And is somewhat enigmatic and, and, and maybe frustrating in that respect. But for the money they're paying him and the potential of – like there is a potential he's just it does all translate they tweak his fastball shape a little bit and he comes out and it's like an ace like that's that's within the realm of possibility here yeah the 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 range of outcomes are pretty wide best case scenario is he legit couldn't be an ace pitcher or pitch like an ace pitcher you know worst case scenario i mean worst case scenario he just he sucks completely but use most useful Worst case scenario is he's kind of a reliever-ish pitcher where just maximizes the fastball and the splitter and does nothing else, which is Uji Uehara-esque. Yeah, with a much better fastball. Yes, but which is not a bad outcome per se, but it's not what we're expecting him to do. No, you'd want more than that, ideally. Yeah, yeah. Uji Uehara was a really good closer for a couple of years. Yeah, he was. Can't complain. Baltimore got some good years out of him. So did Boston. He was on their uh, World Series Boston, winning team. Wasn't that's who I think, yeah. Who am I thinking of? Oh, did, no, did, he was also with the Orioles. You're right. Okay, okay, okay. I was about and to they say. Traded, they traded him to Boston for nothing particularly special, I don't think. Mm. So he's going to be one of the guys who I – don't, I don't care about spring training, really, because I just – after like a week, I'm like, okay, where's the where, where's the games that count? But mm-hmm. – when he pitches, I'll be like, ooh, that's exciting. Let's see what he does. Yeah, that'll be just, interesting to watch. Yep. Just, this, just to see it, just to see it in a Mets uniform, to see what – I've seen video of him, but it's different when you see it in a game setting and you're watching him in and out of each at-bat and seeing how he gets into trouble and out of trouble. All that stuff is way more interesting than just highlights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, shouldn't he be just the number one prospect? Like if if we're really gonna do this, if we're gonna be honest, yes. But he's the number one prospect gonna... in baseball because he he, he played professional. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, I'd still take Gunnar Henderson over him, but yes. You know what I mean, though. Like yes. like then he's two or something. Like because I think Gunnar Henderson is a good shout. Like I, I he's probably I would take Henderson too. But um, like point though, yes. He's a five time 
champion in another right, league, exactly. and he was the ace pitcher on on the on the five time champion team. That's like, that is top prospect to me. Like that's better than Alvarez hitting bombs in Binghamton. <laughs> I mean, realistically, that actually does have some kind of major implications because if Kodaisenga was classified as a prospect by more outlets. The Mets would possibly gain if he won, you know, uh, Cy Young Awards, Rookie of the Year Awards, all those kinds of things. But since he's not classified as a prospect by most of those publications, the Mets are actually losing out. So it's like kind of a funny like joke about, but in reality, like that actually could have, like that could actually be like a major deal. But it is what it is, you know. I mean, he is right. He could win Rookie of the Year. Right. Yeah, I don't think right? they don't. I don't think they get a draft pick no they don't because they he's car, only, there's like a carve out for professional he's only on i think mlb.com's list right. or baseball america's list someone's list i think he's on baseball america's list but he's like, not on like he's baseball, not on bp right he's not on bp he's not on mlb.com he's not on fangraphs he's not on you know the other lists if there are any other lists that they are looking at so they lose the possible rewards of calling up a rookie and having that rookie excel throughout the course of the season which kind of sucks but it is what it is um and then also to quickly just kind of touch you know don't want to spend too much on singa but um his health is kind of dodgy um, over the course of his career in Japan. He, you know, he has 10 years basically of wear and tear in his arm. Uh, he he has also dealt with a lot of like minor issues more so than a lot of other pitchers there. In addition to that 10 year career, um, so I don't know. Um, over or under 110 innings. Over. Mm. Probably. I think his health stuff would be later in his career. It is. And Steve raises a good point. The Mets also did add some injury language to his contract, which was uh, in the news recently. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Heyman had it right. That they yep. were worried about his medicals. Yep. I mean, nothing, nothing disastrous, obviously, because they still the deal wasn't altered that much. But it, it's notable. Um and they've certainly done a better job of building depth than they have in years past. So you can survive him hitting the shelf for a little bit. But maybe this discussion would be better summarized by he's a pitcher. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he's a 10-year veteran rookie. You know how that goes. Yeah. I'm sure every single 24-year-old in the minors has arm stuff, too, if you look deep enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly. All right. And now the number one prospect in the system Again, Nick Morbido. Nick Morbido. <laughs> it's Morbin time. Francisco <laughs> Alvarez. Um, Thank you for my first recap when he does well, Lucas. Mm-hmm. My first title. If, yeah. Um, Alvarez also, like Brett Beatty, he got a very brief cup of coffee in the majors, and I'm not going to include that. So this past season, he played 112 games at double A AA and triple A, and he hit 260, 347, 511. With 27 home runs, 70 walks, and 123 strikeouts. Um, 
the results are very stark and very different um, between his time in Binghamton and his time in Syracuse. In Syracuse, he played, excuse me, in Binghamton, he played 67 games and he hit 277, 368, 533. In Syracuse, he played in 45 games, so about the same, and he hit 234, 382, 443. So there was, the batting average took a, a pretty big hit and the power output did as well. But he was playing hurt, it turns out. He was playing there for about a month or so, and then he got put on the disabled list with some loose bodies in his ankle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you can definitely say, okay, the guy was the guy was playing hurt for <laughs> most of his time there, and he still had a eight twenty five OPS. That's you know, that's fine. And didn't he start really slow and was like yep. getting bat or something, if I'm remembering correctly? And I then he did he did heat up, yes. Yeah. And then he started heating up anyway, and it kind of fixed the line a little bit. Especially the last week or so when he came back from the injury. Um, he was like really good. Which probably but, leads into he was playing hurt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, um, I mean, Alvarez is, you know, the number one prospect in the Mets system. And you can make the case that he is the number one prospect in all of baseball. And if you don't accept that, he's still two, three within like the top five, you know, and that's being very, very generous, you know. He is a top prospect in baseball. I mean, he, he there's really nothing that he does that you don't like. You know, he hits the ball very hard. And when I say very hard, I mean very hard. Just, and it's a kind of swing. Hard. Yeah, it, and it's a swing where you don't say like, oh, God, this is stiff and he's going to get eaten up against, you know, better velocity or really good curveballs, you know, real good breaking balls. You know, it is a strong that it's it's a swing that is strong and can hit pretty much anything. Um, his defense now, like similar to what we were talking about with Brett Beatty, his defense is, it, it has all the ingredients to be a kind of, you know, net, slightly net negative to average. But as a catcher that, you know, that kind of gets magnified when you're a catcher. And the thing that he does, the 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 aspect of catching that he's weakest at, is kind of most magnified right now. He's like a not good framer, and that's kind of is in vogue right now. Um, that might be completely mitigated in in a year or two if they adopt you know the robo umps and all that you know, and and framing is a thing of the past. Um, his arm is is decent enough to be catcher. He moves well enough behind the plate. Um, you know, I, I'm I've always been more high on his defense than other people. And again, I think it, it comes to with the mentality that I don't think that he needs to be perfect. I think he has, you know, he could just be good enough. And I think his defense can be good enough that you 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 deal with it. And and even dealing with it, I think, is maybe a little extreme. You just go with it. Yeah, it's not, I don't it's like not it. A Ryan Dumit back there. Yeah, that's what I was. Gonna, <laughs> that's literally the name I thought of. No <laughs> I feel like he's the guy everyone comes up with for really terrible defender or catcher. Like I don't think he's that bad. I don't think he's good. I think he's stiff, and I don't like his movements back there much. But also, he's a bigger guy, and 
it's hard. It's a physically tolling position. I don't blame him for it. It's hard. I did it for a long time at a much lower level. I was just a travel guy around Brooklyn. But, like, I don't love his catching, but I don't think it'll matter if he hits because so few catchers hit that you will just deal with it, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah, I mean, how many games, let's see, how many games did Tomas Nito play? Tomas Nito played this past season oh. in 98 games, and he had a six, exactly 600 OPS. Now, I, I mean... It's the opposite problem. Yeah. yeah. The Mets kind of had a weird situation because, you know, they kind of had to play... Um, what's his name? I don't remember McCann. his name anymore. McCann, thank you. He got traded. Who cares about him anymore? But yeah, they kind of had to play McCann. They kind of had to just see like, okay, maybe he had one bad year. Is this guy really actually that terrible? So yeah, I'm not going to say the kind of yeah, like, yes. yes, he was, unfortunately. You know, it wasn't like a, a true platoon between Nido and McCann, but they both kind of got into a lot of games. But I mean, if the Mets are willing to play... 90, have have Nito play 98 games and have a 600 OPS, and that's kind of like, well, that's the best we can do. You know, Alvarez does not have a very high bar that he needs to pass. No. No, and it's like there's way – you could coach him up for it to be a little – to be passable, and then it's fine because really how many catchers have both? in the league right now. <laughs> Adley mm-hmm. Rutschman and uh, maybe Will Smith. Right. He's not they, even a great defender. He's good enough. Like, he's a, he's a good enough defender. And Alvarez doesn't have to be a superstar back there. He just has to be fine. And if he's fine back there and hits, then none of us will care about this. The pitchers will care, I'm sure. But they can get over it. <laughs> Yeah, you could imagine, like, DeGrom chewing him out or just, like, giving him death layers. Yeah. I feel like Scherzer would be more the kind of guy to yell at him on game day and then get over it the next day, and then DeGrom would just hate him forever. Yeah, DeGrom would go into Buck's office like, hey, uh, Nito's catching when I pitch. Yep. DeGrom would just be sore because Alvarez hit a home run off of him in, like, spring training last year, and it was a mammoth home run. That is the kind of power that Alvarez has. It's when he can hit mammoth home runs off of Jacob deGrom. Even if it's rusty spring training Jacob Jacob deGrom, it's still deGrom. Correct. Oh, like Alvarez's potential to be an offensive weapon behind the plate is insane. Like, yeah. The likes of, I mean, I don't want to say Mike Piazza because that's the first guy I thought of with the bat, with the Mets had, but he wasn't a great defender and the Mets dealt with that shit for a long time and it didn't matter. And not saying he's going to be a Hall of Fame level hitter, but if you hit and you're a good enough framer, no one will care. We'll get over it real quick. You heard it here first. Uh, (laughs) Francisco Alvarez is Mike Piazza. Lock it in. (laughs) Let's see. Mike Piazza, when did he break into the league? He broke into as a 23-year-old. And he only hit one home run in his rookie year. So Alvarez is already outpacing him. <laughs> Alvarez, so. uh, you heard it here first, folks. Alvar- <laughs> uh, uh, Francisco Alvarez better than Mike Piazza. If these trends continue. Yeah. But the thing is now, in Mike Piazza's second year, 
he hit 318, 370, 561 with 35 home runs. Jesus. Is that all? Jesus Christ. And and 46 walks to 86 strikeouts in Good 149 Lord, games. So I feel like that is a steep So that's hill. the bar, right? That's yeah. The... <laughs> I mean, uh, I could see Alvarez hitting 35 home runs. I don't know about the rest of it, but <laughs> I don't know about three. He's not going to get enough play. The Mets aren't going to give him enough playing time to hit 35 home runs. I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't no, seem I mean, like he's going to break unless something crazy happens because of Narvaez. It just means that he will have to hit two home runs a game. Oh yeah, I mean that's easy solution, duh. Mm-hmm. Just hit, just hit more home runs. Why, duh. Why didn't I think of that? So it's when so do you obvious. think it comes up? Because I don't really know. I am very perplexed. Um, yeah, and I wrote about this in the like grading article for the Narvaez signing, which I think is actually good value. I like Omar Narvaez. I think he's a good player. I think he's a fine starting catcher given his defense, and there's some offensive upside given his past performance. And I still gave the greatest the, the, the signing a C because what, what the fuck are you doing with Francisco Alvarez here? I, I don't get it. Was he and signed then, to a one-year deal or two-year deal? One with an option. Okay, okay. I mean, it's a possible bet. And they extended Nito for two. I mean, I guess it really depends on how hot of a start Alvarez gets off to. Because you could trade, you know, teams will always be looking for catching. I mean, you could always trade Alvarez, even if you're getting back pennies on the dollar, just because you need to get Alvarez in the lineup now. I don't know. Sure. Um, He's kind of like a hedge. You know, if, if Alvarez does good and gets off to the start that you want to see then you can say okay goodbye Alvarez. but if he doesn't then you have okay we have a, a decent everyday kind of catcher with us and potentially next year too as a hedge in case but like Alvarez needs to be I don't say needs to like I don't mind him starting in AAA so he could just catch five times a week or whatever and really right exactly that, that part of his game but that's why I'm not in up in arms that he's most like 95% not starting the year at the major league level because it, it's but, his defense that needs the, 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 the more reps, not the bat. But even when you call him up, like you can't, there's no one to, you're going to carry three catchers and then it's a weird roster. You're going to carry three catchers and a DH only player. Right. Because Vogelback and Vogelback and the, the, the way the, the roster sets up, like, Alvarez would have to catch against the lefties and then like DH against the, the, the righties, but that's what Vogel backs for. You know what I mean? Like it gets, mm-hmm. you know, it starts to get real weird how you fit all those players into the roster at the same time in July. And of course now we're talking 10 steps ahead and someone you know could get hurt. Someone these are, these are all good questions to have because you're not wrong. <laughs> I'd much rather be wondering how we're going to get Francisco Alvarez's bat you know, in the lineup, then saying to myself, oh, you know, uh, Brad Emaus is starting again. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I thought Emaus was, Emaus, whatever. I liked that. I was like, oh, this will be fun. And then it, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I'm not saying it's not a good problem to have. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we were going to have these questions in July or June or whenever Alvarez is very clearly done with triple a because mm-hmm. i think that's what's going to happen and baby's a different story with no correa now happening baby's just going to come up either he's either going to break camp break 
camp with the team or come up pretty quick because he'll force his way up. But there'll be a roster spot for him. There'll be a place there. And Alvarez, I think even if he starts destroying the ball, I could see the Mets being conservative and that being a thing that we talk about while he's hitting over 300 in AAA. Everyone's like, where is he? I'm like, well, where do you want to put him? Like, yeah. He's not going to. He's just not. There's no place for him in the roster, and that's kind of weird that they did that to themselves. And I'm assuming opinion. it's. I'm assuming it's not a service time manipulation thing because this Mets group has been not inclined to service time, hard manipulate, and also you get a draft pick now if things go really well. No, I legitimately think they think Narvaez is good, and they think that Alvarez needs more time on his defense. And I don't think those things are necessary. I'm not a huge fan of Narvaez, not as much as you are, Lucas, mm-hmm. but he's fine. Like you could, If you platoon him and Nito, it's a good defensive tandem, and he's a better hitter than Nito, so sure. And Alvarez does need the work defensively. It's just it'll cause, I don't want to say problems, but it'll be an interesting roster fit in July. And, of course, Vogelback could pull his hamstring and be out for six weeks and then we don't we have to worry about it. actually put him on the DL or IL this time yeah, instead of like... exactly. Instead of making him play hurt like, like they did last year. <laughs> but that's also another thing where catchers get hurt. Nito could take a foul ball, foul ball off the hand and break it. And here we are. We None, none of this is a problem. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a fair point. Well, I mean, it'll be uh, exciting to see what they do. It'll be fun. Because it, it, it's a good situation. It's The Mets actually have some decent players coming up now, and it's exciting at, at really kind of important positions. The two positions they needed the most mm-hmm. in this entire offseason. Which I believe you wrote about, right, Thomas? I did, because <laughs> I did when I thought they were not going to sign someone else, and then the Correa stuff happens. But yes, like, yes, yes, well. very lucky, I guess, that they were two clear ways to upgrade the roster. The, the offense with a third baseman and a catcher and that is their first and second prospects in the by far if you don't count Senga like it's not even a competition I mean it's it's almost look I'm not going to say that the roster would be better with Carlos Correa on it there's no at least for the next year there's no denying that I don't know what the long-term medicals imply but and I think this is the point you made in your article earlier in the offseason like they have two weak spots on the roster and they have top prospects to fill them. And this off season, they made sure they had serviceable guys at those. Like Eduardo Escobar is a serviceable third baseman. Yeah. Arvaez and Nito is a serviceable catching platoon. And so if, if Beatty doesn't work this season or Alvarez doesn't work this season, you're not screwed, but you've also left yourself room to call them up and be like, hell yeah, this is great. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's basically the crux of it, because if you have to go an entire season with Eduardo Escobar, the Mets won 100 games with that last year. Yep. And by default, Narvaez is going to be better than McCann. Like, <laughs> You're not can't starting uh, Brian Anderson or something. Uh, Brian, I like Brian Anderson, but you, there's, contenders should probably not be starting Brian Anderson, right? Like Agreed. Like, the Brewers are being weird, and that's why they're starting Brian Anderson. <laughs> and... Like Eduardo Escobar, is, if he's your worst hitter, he's like league average. And if he's worse than that, and if Beatty isn't working, then you just make a trade for a third baseman who will, or an infielder who will be available, and you could figure it out. Yeah, it's it's kind of an advantageous position to be in. It's also it's a little knows, lucky. 
Yeah, God knows what the rest of the NL East they're gonna need to be. Uh, they're gonna need to have a lot of options if things yep. go bad. Yeah, I mean, I think they have the best roster in the division, but it's not so so huge a gap that things couldn't still go wrong and things don't go their way and. Uh, having having this sort of uh, a contingency slash succession plan set up is is uh, a good thing. I like that succession plan. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then that helps future off seasons when, if it does work, and your catcher and your third baseman are sorted for the next five or six years. Yeah, then, then, then like, you can pay Shohei Otani fifty million dollars yep. a year because you're paying your starting third baseman and catcher eight hundred thousand dollars. It's perfect. Yep. And then you could do the Braves extensions if you want to. You could get a little creative with all, with it all. Sounds like a plan to me. The Mets, and, and la- last thing before I let Steve uh, kick us off here, like the the Mets should be trying to extend both these guys right now. I think. Like, uh, don't, absolutely. Don't give the. You don't need to be exploitative, but like, you don't need to give them laughable contracts or, or manipulate their service time if they don't sign. But I think it's worth. Putting it on the table and say, hey, do you want the Luis Robert contract? We'll give you that. Um, both of them are, are worth the the downside risk there. Um, now, I don't know that the Mets will do that. They've shown no uh, proclivities towards that sort of deal, but but I hope it's something they're thinking about at least. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can shoot us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at ElvLahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SaidMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast. We've got your podcast from. Rate and review it. And we thank you for listening. And we definitely do thank you for listening, everybody that does listen, because we know that you're out there. Mm-hmm. It's great when we get comments on on Twitter and like please engage with us. Tell me tell me that you disagree with me about Ronnie Mauricio. I'll tell you that you're wrong, but you know we can have a good discussion about it. As long as you're being uh, as long as as you're arguing in good faith and not just blatantly saying you're an edge lord and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll be back next week. Um, we'll probably have some interesting news to share with everyone next week. But uh, until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.